We interrupt your regularly scheduled podcast for this special announcement. If you like role-playing games, check out swinginamiss.net where... Damon, did you do your laundry? Oh god, this is not happening. Yes, I did. Don't come in. What, are you playing with yourself in there? No, I'm trying to record a promo. A porno? Not in my home, young man. No, a promo, an ad for my podcast. What's a podcast? It's a recording of our actual plays and gaming advice for people to download and listen to. Is that on the internet? Yes, Ma. Swingandamiss.net is a place for players and game masters to talk to each other across several gaming genres. Okay, well don't forget to take out the trash and find a nice girl! Swingandamiss.net. Don't let your mother catch you playing with yourself here. Hi, this is Ross Payton here with Roleplaying Public Radio, and this is episode 38, Fight Me or Give Me a Quest. God damn, the voice is back It's been there. a long time. There it Our is. loyal RPPR listeners. The throbbing in my head continues. But, uh, despite all our uh, misadventures, or my misadventures recently, we're back. Better than ever. You know, Ross, I have to ask, when you're in bed, screwing, who, fucking who you fuck, is, do you do it in that voice? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, it's like, baby. It's baby, like, give it to me. It's like, am I no, pleasuring you? Oh, God, you? my, no, oh, that's, no, no, I, no, I'm not going to go down this alley anymore. Okay, I'm going to talk normal. Are you better, are you happy now, Tom? The throbbing's lessening, thank you, yes. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't want to uh, go down that alley, that's... Oh, you're taking the moral high ground here. Well, I don't know who's going to listen to this podcast in the future, so, you know, I don't want my future Senate campaign ruined, but I can't say that with a straight face, can I? No, just don't try. And don't be drinking water when you do that. You're going to ruin your laptop, man. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, if Al Franken can uh, be senator, why can't I? Or if uh, Jesse Ventura can be senator. Oh, well, uh, a crippling lack of likability. I remember reading about Al Franken being a writer in Saturday Night Live back in the 70s, doing coke before writing sketches and going nuts. Yeah, you don't do coke, Ross. No, but if Al Franken can do You coke, drink Vault. Yes. Vault is good, though. Vault is awesome. Vault is nectar of the God. You, what are we even doing? We're just ranting on, not giving the loyal listeners well, what the, they it's want. It's the strange ambience of your new apartment. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, well, duplex, you know. Ooh, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's got a garage now. Yes, I am not in a 40-year-old building that is falling apart. Just so you know, uh, uh, loyal listeners, that uh, the reason why we've had a long little uh, um, absence from recording episodes is because uh, I've had to move uh between our last episode now, because uh, about a month ago, a um, month and a half ago, uh, the apartment that I was at, the already, gutters clogged. A piece of shit already, by the way. Yeah, very old building. Uh, uh, the gutters clogged during a very horrendous rainstorm. And so it started raining in my building, literally indoors. I had to wear a raincoat indoors and uh, had to bail out you know, trash cans and Tupperware for about 15 hours all through the night. Literally, didn't I did not that, sleep Didn't you at say all. that eventually got almost a game like find the leak? Yeah, no, I had to listen to all the leaks to see if the new one, if a new one was popping up. It was uh, kind of interesting actually. But and, uh, I especially like the story of the light fixture way up in the hallway. Yeah, yeah, it was staircase. completely full. Oh yeah, it's a fishbowl. Um, so, anyways, uh, fortunately, nothing much got damaged. None of the the also valuable computer equipment, but. I was uh, uh, needing to move before the black mold and mildew that... Which was already starting. Yeah, uh, killed...
killed me. So uh, I had to find a new place. I had to move. I had to unpack. Blah blah blah. And but that's not all. That's not the only reason. Of course, I I would never forget you, uh, the loyal RPPR listeners. So I also. Um, what did I do? I uh, finally released the Goblin Hulk. Too much critical uh, acclaim. There is a, a good review of it on Neuroglyph Games, um, I believe. Uh, they've uh, given a very good review of it, and uh, it's uh, a Brazilian RPPR listener is uh, has offered to translate the Goblin Hulk into Portuguese to uh, for Brazilian D and D fans. RPPR is international. Apparently, now. Uh, goblins and piracy is a winning combination. And uni- well, and universal. I, apparently, I've seen it listed on uh, Israeli forums, uh, gaming forums. Uh, I've uh, it's been linked to to all kinds of crazy uh, places, all all the cor- all the corners of the world wide web. Yeah, did you like what I did there, Tom? Uh, not really. No, and, I'm uh, you, sorry. No, you, no. Sigh. Anyway, um, so but that's again not all. There's another thing. Uh, there is a holy new- crap. There's more. I have been working. I had not been a total lazy bastard. Uh, so aside from moving, getting the Goblin Hulk finished, uh, seventeen thousand words, seventeen new pieces of art. You know, forty eight. Uh, yeah, you, you worked hard on that art, didn't you? Well, I had to lay it out. I had to put it in InDesign. I had to click the insert font. You know, I had to size it. I had to move it around. That's that's more important than actually making the art, I think. Too. I think the artist would disagree with you, Ross. I, uh, well, I'm a graphic designer. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I can't even say it. All right, fine, yeah, making the art is better. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite piece, what's your favorite piece from the Goblin Hulk? Uh, that, is, that's hard to, that is actually kind of hard to say. I mean, I would love to say, like, well, obviously it's the portrait of me, my character, because oh, that's... Yeah. But Logic, unfortunately, yeah. I really can't. I'm going to have to say I love Watcher's portrait better than my own. Yes, all the the water. Well, some of the water barons are in there. Uh, Watcher, the Warforged fighter played by Mike Cassius. Uh, yeah, orc. Cassius is the Oric warlord. Yeah, and he's in um, there. but I my favorite piece is actually the the sketch of the one-eyed dolphin in the one I put oh, on the yeah. front page. It's uh, a zombie dolphin hanging over uh, a zombie or a dolphin corpse hanging over the uh, inn, which is moving door. constantly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's the kind of thing a goblin would have hanging over a bar. Well, yeah. So who yeah. wouldn't? Well, not just goblins, man. Actually, most people wouldn't, because though that would smell. I mean, you know, think. Well, about I guess it. on the Goblin Hulk, it's like, well, great, it's shit. Like, are you gonna smell shit on a ship that's loaded with shit? Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, but no, the uh, uh, my uh, the second thing I've been working on for you RPPR fans is. Uh, I've long since been getting you know, emails from people. I love the episodes. I don't like the actual plays. I love the actual play. I'm not, but you guys suck at episodes. Actually, I don't think it. No, there's just a lot of people who like our episodes and don't care for the actual play. So anyway, uh, and they're well, no, the actual play fans they want more. And I don't want to just flood the our podcast feed with just actual plays because I know we've got a ton of episodes, actual play episodes, uh, in the can ready to go. Well, I have to mix them and compress them and upload them and. Tag so actually, really, they're not done at all. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. You're it, lazy, it, Ross. I, it you take, are lazy. It only takes if it, it doesn't take too much to do it. Anyway, um, I created a new podcast, uh, roleplaying RPPR actual play. Um, it's actualplay.roleplayingpublicradio.com. We'll um, link to it. The only reason I haven't changed why we're still at slangdesign.com/rppr is because that changing that to roleplaying public radio would just be a it, lot of. It'd work. be a motherfucker. It would be a lot of work, so I'm not doing it. And Ross doesn't like work. Well, unnecessary work. Um, so anyways, actualplay.roleplayingpublicradio.com is a weekly actual play podcast. Every Monday. 
every Monday or Sunday or Tuesday, you know, one of those three days, depending on. My so schedule. it's not really going to be uniform. It's it, it will be four episodes a month. That works out. To it's going to be when Ross goes. Oh, it's next week. I have to put up another episode. Yeah. So uh, now we've already started it, and some of you have already found out about it because I posted it on the RPPR forums, which any good RPPR fan should check out. On Don't Rick. judge them. I'm just saying. Well, they get the inside scoop. They get it, you know, hot off the internet. Well, I saw the arrogant look in your eye, man. <laughs> I realized it was there. Yeah. Okay. Whatever you say, Tom. <clears throat> anyway. Um, yes, Tom. Uh, that's what yes, you're supposed Tom. to say. Yes, Tom. Mm-hmm. Oh, hi, Tom. Oh, hi, Ross. We've already uploaded the epic Call of Cthulhu scenario, U-Boot uh, boot, uh, House, uh, Haus, or something. Haus, which means go, U-Boot, or something like that in German. The U-Boot is go. Yeah, something like that. And it's uh, an 11 and a half hour. Two parts. We didn't, we're not going to torture you that bad. Yeah, only five and a half hours or six hours. Uh, mm. Five and a half hours for the first part and six hours for the second part. Um, yeah. For a epic Call of Cthulhu scenario run over two nights at Gen Con, run by Adam Scott Clancy of Pagan Publishing. Yeah. I, 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 uh, and the players were all veteran gamers and game designers, except for Tom. I was a veteran gamer, dude. Yeah, that's true. I've been gaming since, I, not, I've been gaming since 87. <laughs> all right, but everyone no, what else... What the hell was that? Everyone else was a published game designer. Oh, yeah, that was true. Yeah, think about that. So um, what are you saying? I was, just, I was just privileged enough to just be in your reindeer games? Is that it? Yeah, yeah. Because you're not published, Tom. Yeah, think about that. Uh, yes, Ross is published. Now he's going to go have some victory gin and <laughs> strangle a prole. Uh, yes, me and the other rakes shall uh, uh, paint the town red with the blood of the proletariat. Uh, as we are the uh, uh, bourgeois, no, capitalist swine. Anyway, um, so check that out. Uh, I'll put a big link on our show notes. I'll put a big yeah. link on the sidebar and subscribe. It's on iTunes now. I don't know if it's on the recording. But I remember when we finished the first half, he's like, yeah. uh, do you guys want to continue this like yeah. tomorrow night? We're like, I think we have to now. Yeah. Uh, I know that some people have already po- posted their highlights from the first episode, like uh, me making a critical success on a <laughs> warning <laughs> shot with a cannon. Take so, that, Ocean. Yeah, exactly. Very nice. Um so yeah, it, don't worry. My moment's not until the second. There's half. a lot of talk about history. There's a lot of talk about uh, Call of Cthulhu. Greg Stoll's. By the Shane time you're Heidi, done, you will know how to Frank op- Frey. Yeah. By the time it's um, done, you will know how to operate a U-boat. Yeah, World War One U-boat, and yeah. So if you're a fan of actual plays, that's the place to go because uh, this RPPR, the main feed, will uh, just be podcast episodes, just uh, us shooting skits, the breeze. Uh, oh, yes, else. I would like to say. Uh, I actually have. I'm nearly finished with another uh, 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 game master sk- uh, script. Oh, yeah, yeah. my god! Yeah, we're gonna do some more skits l- later. Really? Yes, we are. Are you sure, Tom? I might even do another commercial. Oh my god! I actually thought of a new idea for a commercial. Did you now? Well, don't tell them. Okay. I'll tell you after we stop recording, so you'll never do listen. And my mind will be blown. It will. It's fucking good. So. Um, Yes, because we have cursing here. Although I did uh, take off the explicit tag on RPPR, because really it was the New World game. That That's explicit. That is explicit. The other stuff, eh, whatever. <laughs> we don't talk about that fucking shit. Well, not like Cody. We're not Cody is what I'm no, saying. No, we are not. We are not Cody. So we don't have Tourette's, voluntary Tourette's. 
Um, so anyways, uh, so I have been working, uh, some stuff. Oh, also the promo, of course, uh, that I will be putting uh, before this episode is the swing and a miss, a podcast started by one of the RPPR listeners. So, uh, check that out. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's time to get into the show proper. Yes. Now, Ross. Uh, fight me or give me a quest. Uh, this is. You know, I've been playing a lot of games lately. I've been playing, not just running games, which is... Uh, uh, I know. Yeah. Um, but... Under the watchful eye of your frog. Yeah, well, also the snapping turtle over mm-hmm. there, um, who hates all things. Um, and I, I, the frog is named Gripply, I, I just want to let you know. So Yeah. Or King Seamoss, I'm not sure. Yeah, either one. He's a frog. He's not going to care. Anyway, um, <laughs> I've been talking... I, I realize... Or at least my my theory on one of the reason or the main reason I think that the New World campaign is so endearing to the players is that I've populated it with characters. There's you know basically three categories of NPCs it seems like in tabletop games. Uh, quest givers, you know, do yeah. this for me. The mayors, the mm-hmm. wizards, and then of course enemies. The ones uh, we got to kill that motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. And then every- other. Everyone else. People who not, aren't necessarily going to give you a quest or, you know, or aren't necessarily going to oppose you, either through like, violence or something. These are the thing. ones in the video games that just have one pre-scripted line they say when you click right. on them. But the... And I think the, the problem is, is that in almost all the games I've been playing last five, six months, uh, for, with a few exceptions, there have been almost no NPCs of the third category. Of the third kind. Uh, not to be confused with the fourth kind. No, the fourth kind will fuck you up. You will die. You don't even want to know the you name. You don't even know. Um, I haven't even seen that movie, have you? I don't think it's out yet. No, it's out. Is it? It's been out for a while. Uh, I have not seen it. Yeah. But anyway. More on that later. Because, um, you know, in the New World, obviously, there's Campbell, there's Septimus, there's the... the Balgrin the Fat. Balgrin the Fat. There's just dozen. There's literally over 20 or at least 20 NPCs that aren't quest givers. That we often right? demand you go back to. Yeah. Yeah. You, you guys like them. And um, what what's interesting is that, that I kind of have them force their their own agenda on the NPCs. They try and do their own thing and try and there's always a little bit of push. They don't just give way. So the players have to pay attention to them and actually you know recognize them in the world. And you know we've talked about making NPCs more char- char- uh, colorful through you know little uh, quirks well, and traits and all or this ac- other stuff actually name them but uh, know. yeah I think the thing is you you need to realize in your game you need to add a lot of NPCs who aren't necessarily you know the main point of the plot um, you uh, just you know add them in there add in your Balgrins of the fat and um, you know because I've been playing in these games and it just feels like I'm in a fucking ghost town most of the time. You know, some of these D&D games, especially, we go to point A, we fight enemy B, we to fulfill quest one, and then we... Return to NPC. Rinse, lather, repeat, and then meanwhile, it's sort of like, eh, I feel like I'm in this empty world with no one to talk to, nothing to do, no, and... Um, Especially when you're like when you're supposed to be in like a really huge city or something. Yeah, there's he doesn't the the GM doesn't paint a picture of colorful NPCs, um, and that doesn't mean you don't need to force them on there. Just make sure every you you, you create a you, you try and make them suspend their disbelief by creating an immersive world. So, um, I think and the, and the, and so that that that's I think if you're running a game, you need to keep that in mind because. 
Um, I've, I've been running and playing in these games and correct me if I'm, I don't know. What do you think Tom about this? Or, you know, when you're playing in games with, um, in terms of NPC. Yeah. Balance. Well, it's, I, I usually get the same thing. I'm guilty of this too. And we'll get into that later as well. But I've been in a lot of games where it really is. It's you're the, the patron. Uh, there's like the one big NPC that's controls everything. This one you, is the one you report to. Then there are his little subordinates, and then unnamed talkative jackass who simply moves you from point A to B. Right. Everyone, everyone else may, everyone else may as well be an extra in a movie. Right. But and it, uh, but an, an extra in a movie that doesn't talk, that you know, and just stands still. Who is furniture? Right. And yeah, that that that's exactly it. Like if we go to a village, there will be the mayor, you know, and then. Unnamed villagers, and that's maybe it. the sheriff, maybe the innkeeper, mm-hmm. but that's well, it. Really. I, well, oh, come on, definitely the innkeeper. Yeah, that's true, and the and the tavern wench or whatever. But the tavern wench, like even that, like, she's an oversexed, uh, you know, world, you know, world weary, right, or something woman. like that. But the, the, you don't feel like you're in a real village because everyone in there is like a video game character where they don't say anything, and you're just like, eh. Which and, I've also actually noticed sometimes if you do that enough, actually the the empty village almost becomes the norm. Yeah, which and then it can shock you. They can shock the crap out of you when you go to one that's surrounded by someone else. And my God, there's names I have to remember. And yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing. Names you have to remember. Where there's stuff. Uh, uh, again, I think it, it goes down to basic, you know, suspension of disbelief. Am I in a re- sort of believable fictional world? You know, is my character or I'm like, or, or, or am, I, I, am I am I in a box? Yeah, or am I just going from fight A to fight B? You know. Um, so, and that sort of gets back into more of a structural thing where you, also too many games I have, you were basically in an isolated wilderness, a cut off a closed world where you went from fight A to fight B to fight C, you know, in that order. Um, and then there were, or there were other ones where it was open sandbox and it was so open you didn't know what to do. And I think there needs to be a variety. You know, I think mm. the perfect scenarios or the the good scenarios are the ones with a little balance of both. Like the U boat scenario we we played yeah. in. When we were on the U boat, we that was and actually it's true in real war. That's your world. Yeah, and we well the NPC interaction was pretty minimal because they were other members of the crew and they would either do what we told them or gave you orders. Yeah, as judge on the hierarchy and um but when uh to, and this is the the real defining moment you know any gm i think can do something like that any gm with minimal skills can do that but to scott's credit when he put us in the village there's you know spoiler alert they we we go to a village and we posted the already they know yeah um it came alive, you know. We there was the mayor, there was the uh, head nun, town uh, sheriff, mother, uh, yeah, who took care of the uh, yeah. There's a uh, yeah, the, do- constable, the harbor master, harbor master. Um, who was that old dude? There was a doctor, right? Yeah, doctor, doctor and his assistant, and he was you know had his own little deal. And there were the other little constables and uh, other authorities, and of course there was the one you know there we didn't know who to trust and all this other stuff. And so Scott had all these characters ready, and they talked to us as though they were real. You know, uh, the mayor wasn't just so impressed, but he. You know, in a lot of bad games, you always have either the. Uh, um, NPCs who are just doormats, you know, do whatever you want, or they are, you know, impervious bar- and barriers to what it, you know, will say no no matter what, 
You know what I mean? It's too easy to go too easy. They are. It's, like, it's it's yeah. It's either it's either doormat or derfure. Yeah, exactly. There's no and that's a uh, I think a mark of a bad game and and if it's consistent, a bad GM um, that they can't make NPCs that give you some resistance, but don't ultimately you know don't act believable. You know, the mayor should be like, I'm an authority figure, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to do it. But except. at the same time, this is like, but know, if you put but, the right pressure it, on them, they it's should. Also tr- it's also true to the scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I remember he did like, you know, the mayor was, you know, like I am the mayor, but you could tell he was also nervous that there's also an armed German U-boat right off our right. town. So we could eventually change his mind or persuade him, um, given the evidence. And that's the sign that you can, a GM would eventually allow this resistance this challenge and then i'll you know give it give in basically you know or you know allow the player success when they deserve it so um that's what you need to do is make it so where it's not fight me or give me a quest and you and it it happens to every i think gm sooner or later that you're mm. going to have a scenario with a kind of off kilter design like you you had i've run a couple i've had a couple of uh games i've run one was a like a six-part thing i ran that i finally had to put on hold what was this? Is this something I was in? Yeah, that's the Mutant Masterminds thing. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, you were in that. And also, I ran. I had ran another Call of Cthulhu game that was real, more just an idea I had. Yeah. Ross was in both of them. Yeah, no, I, I, I was in both of them. Um, in your first one, you know, we were in that space station, then we were in our uh, underwater base, the Mutant Masterminds game. You know, we were mm-hmm. like this few sci-fi superheroes kind of thing. Set hundreds of years in the future. But it seemed like... One thing, you know, you gave us all these other NPCs, and but they're just kind of sitting off in the corner. And Which doing was, their... I had plans with them, but it's I, I, I never, I, 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 I never got to them. Yeah. Um, and I mean, to be honest, I think you kind of that was just a mistake having so many of them there. Mm-hmm. We should, you should. Yeah, I, I admit that game. I was, I was actually overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, I, I will not. I will completely admit that. I, just, I got, I got completely flustered and. I think that's a common mistake in a lot of times when you're setting up a game is you get too ambitious and be like, oh, it could be dozens of NPCs and blah, 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 blah. And it's going to be a world-spanning arc. And you I mean, just realize... I mean, I, I mean, it wasn't bad as far yeah. as I thought. Everyone seemed to have a good time, so... Yeah, no, I mean, it was... Um, yeah, it was it was ultimately fun, but I just felt like, again, I was sort of in an empty world. You mm-hmm. know, like, I couldn't really talk to anybody other than the other players and like you know we go to this uh I, a good example is the uh, um uh cult leader you know mm-hmm. in dc and we go to him we fight him you know we find out what he wants and then the aliens attack us and then at no point do we interact does do we have any chance you know we're in this massive city in the future and at no point does we have any meaningful interaction with anyone else Right, so it's like it could have been it could have been anyway empty aside from the cult leader and those two aliens we met. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you know, throwing in a quirky busboy or having government agents who are hopelessly outmatched or something like that would have added a lot to it. So, um, I don't I don't rule out coming back to it later. Yeah, but. no, it's a good idea, but I think you, well, it's it's an idea that I you know it was 
Once again, the I think a little bigger than I had planned. Now, one thing I've noticed in both your superhero game and in RJ's superhero game, and I know this is talking about NPCs, is the, sort of the power level thing, which is obviously very hard to gauge in superhero powers because it's kind of a rock, paper, scissors thing to a certain degree. Like, right. you have, I have superpower X, and it can only be defeated by superpower Y, ah, and you're invincible until you come up mm. against super Y, and then you suck. So... Uh, but in in your game and in RJ's game, you, we we both faced the in the, the opening sessions these super incredibly impossible to defeat uh, NPCs, basically you know, enemies. Right. Uh, well, I, guess, I think with mine but, though, I didn't, but I didn't make you fight him. Right. Well, and the, and RJ's fight, you know, was survivable, but like that that kind of hurts suspension and disbelief to say, oh, we're facing against the heaviest hitter in the first place, but he's not going to kill us or we don't get pasted into, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard to pull that off. I think, um, I think you both did it. Both of you, both RJ and you, you, you did it about as well as you can do, but it's, it's just, it's something you, if you can avoid, avoid it in the first place, I think it's better off. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but um, I, the other thing I ran, which I think is a lot more uh, indicative to what we're talking about, yeah, I ran a one-shot Call of Cthulhu uh, game that pretty much I ran essentially off of an idea, right? Do you which want to was get into that, I, yeah. which essentially like the the whole genesis of this you know scenario was weird, freaky shit in the middle of a huge forest fire, All right? Which is a great idea. I mean, as soon as you told but, me about it, I was like, wow, that's a great idea. I think, but the, the problem <laughs> is, I had a great idea that I almost, I accident, I guess, I don't know, accidentally or unintent or intentionally or whatever, decided to like, and maybe, and that's going to be what carries it. So I didn't work that much on it. You didn't do anything on it. Hardly at all. And how good are you? Do you, would you rate yourself at, at improvising and making shit up? The thing is, I would—I actually am pretty good most of the time. Just not with a group of that size and that ex- and that experience level. So you're good with your usual group, which is David and Aaron, but not with like. Um, yeah, you know, David, Aaron, David, Aaron, Jake, and Andy were the right your primary core group, group, the core right. group. And yeah, it, they were a lot easier to improv with. Mm. And it's, I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm simply saying this is a completely different group than that one. Right. Um, you know, like last new here in a new world game, I, I, I know we're sort of drifting conversationally, but whatever. it comes all comes. Um, back. I made a lot, obviously you, could you tell what I, I kind of, I was improvising on the spot for the new world game. The last one we played, I honestly or, can't remember, uh, Garnus family versus the Eisenhorn family. Oh, yeah. Um, the nobles trying <clears throat> to get the pearl for the, the, uh, um, what did you think in terms of like, do you think it would have been, I, I, I just want to get your opinion on it. I think we got where we needed to go. Um, um, as for that, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, it, if it was there, it, if it was not there, it wouldn't have changed much. If it, well, just what was your, because you bring up improvising. I, I basically made up most of the game on the fly. All I had literally like three ideas. I'm like, what Cody had to do to get his curse lifted and what you had to, what the group had to do in order to, uh, get the earth spirit and fire, or well, all of it fire worked. spirit and water spirit. All of it worked. Right. And uh, I think the thing is that we couldn't, I couldn't tell you were improvising. Okay. I think that that's a difference. Okay. If the players can't tell you're, you're just making this shit up on the spot. Because I think uh, it'll be in the recording whenever we get to posting that. 
Um, but I think Cody is like, could tell I was improvising or making shit or somebody made a comment. I remember somebody saying, made, making shit up on the spot. Um, but I don't know if he was referring to the actual scenario or the fact of the names. Cause I'm always making up names on the spot. Cause I never have a list of names handy. Cause mm-hmm. I'm dumb like that. And Cody apparently now is pissed because I used the name Eisenhorn and then only later realized that I've been reading the Eisenhorn trilogy, which is a, we'll get into in our shout outs. But, um, anyway, <laughs> Um, so yeah, you're, you're, I think the thing is, um, what we're trying to get at is make sure your, your scenario is very, uh, varies in terms of NPCs and in terms of environments. I mean, I think it, it, it would help anyone running the game to abstract it as much as possible make like a flow chart or you know, mental flow chart like okay so really what can the characters do really what can the options do um the guy who developed uh prince of persia actually created some really great rules on um game design and uh i'm gonna pull them up right now because i can't because i have a laptop with good internet now that's another thing about this uh we i have much better internet now um, you can just go to a site and I have, not have to approve it. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, so he can He just posted a blog post today um, about his. Actually, I know what it's on. It's on my Google Reader. Um, the rules of game design. Now he's talking about video games specifically, but it's, a, it's pretty close. Often, video games can be close to RPGs. Yeah. No, I think like the first example he gives is. Make a list of what the character... The game is about um, what you do. And if like if you're talking about like a great cinematic... Oh, here it is. All right. The story is what... Uh, here it is. Jordan uh, Mechner's um, 11 Laws of Game Design. The story is what the player does, not what he watches. List the action the player actually performs in the game and take a cold, hard look at it. Does it sound like fun? Resist the temptation to embellish. If a cinematic shows the player's characters sneak into a compound, clobber a guard, put on his uniforms, the player's action, the player's action is watch cinematic. Uh, letting the player uh, letting the player click to clobber the guard isn't much better. Now, tabletop version, this this still works because like if you think the first thing is, oh, the players are gonna watch these two elder gods duke it out for supremacy of the universe, it's the the player's action, our actions are Watch the two elder gods, not perhaps actually, yeah. crack open a book next to us. And yeah, exactly. It's it, it's it's not really relevant. Um, or get up and go get a soda. Or yeah, that's what we're gonna do. Exactly. Uh, the only significant actions are the those that affect the player's ability to perform future actions. Everything else is bells and whistles. So you know what you actually have to do in order to keep going. Um, design a clear and simple interface. Obviously not so much for tabletop RPGs. Player needs a goal at all times, even if it's a mistaken one. If there's nothing specific he wishes to accomplish, he will soon get bored. Even the game is rich with graphics and sound. The gaming equivalent of dead air. Yeah. Well, yeah, I feel like, all right, you guys are in a bar. What do you do? You know, uh, it, what's the bar like? Oh, there's people. <laughs> Hi, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't you been in a game like that where the GM wouldn't fucking tell you what was going on? Doesn't, doesn't that piss you off? Well, I've been in... Not so much that. I have been in one where... And I, I've done this myself, where it's not so much that he's just ignoring it. It's that he's... You can tell he is burning lean calories trying to think of something. Yeah. Realizing, a, 
oh fuck, I just I didn't plan beyond this. Yeah. Um, and yeah. yeah, I've seen that happen. Yeah, and it it's it sucks when you're in a bar and there's people and you don't know what they look like, who they are, what they're doing. I mean, and, I've never seen it where it's and like and that's well, your Star Wars game. It's at Gen Con sounded kind of like that. Like we didn't even have that. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, yeah. uh, there's a few more goals. Yeah. Um, the more the player feels the events of the games are being caused by his own actions, the better. Even when this is an illusion. So again, if the players, you know, are the ones moving the story, good. Um, analyze the events of the story in the terms of their effect on the player's goal. For each event, asked, does this move the player closer to further, or closer to or further away from the goal, or give them a new goal? If it's not, it's irrelevant to the game. Um, more of a video game. Right. right. Uh, longer the player b- plays without a break, the more of his sense of reality of the world is built up. Anytime he dies or has to restart from a save game, the spell is broken. So again, this is sort of like. The longer you can go without, you know, call calling forth to like uh, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, breaking the spell, you know, like oh, let's go take a smoke break or let's uh, uh make a stupid joke or something like that. I, and I gotta give it to to Glancy, he he can go pretty well nonstop. No, he is he good focus. Um, let's see. I think I think we were the ones that like I have to go get a soda now. That's yeah, true. Uh, alternative paths, recoverable errors, multiple. Multiple solutions to the same problem. Missed opportunities that can be made up later are all good. That's multiple solutions to the same problem. That's something we've gone over many times, I think, in this show. Uh, don't introduce uh, gratuitous obstacles just to create a puzzle. You know, like, ha you must defeat an iron column to get through this room. Why? Fuck you, that's why. Like, can't I go around? Yeah, nope. No, 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 no. Uh, you have to fight it. Um... As the player moves through the game, he should have the feeling that he is passing to potentially interesting avenues of exploration. The ideal outcome is for him to win the game having done 95% of what there is to do, but feeling that there might be another 50% he missed. Now, that's that video game, but, I mean, again, you, you should always leave him wanting more. And I think with the new world, I'm always throwing out, like, plot hooks by the bucket, and you guys are only jumping at You can only jump at so many, and you're like... Um, that's that's good. You guys are always wanting to come back for more. So yeah. So, anyways, those are I think some of the uh, um, just some lessons, just some thoughts about game design have been rolling yeah. through my head. And one lesson that I've I've discovered is you're never too experienced not to learn another lesson. Yeah. No. I I mean, I've had in the new world game. Um, I've had sessions that have gone great, and something because eh, of that, and also Call of Cthulhu one shots. Um. So well, it's like, the same story with me. I've mm-hmm. had like that second prototype game, mm-hmm. you know, the Call of Cthulhu one, uh, where Cody really hated it because it went from investigation to action, and he did, hated that genre jumping. So um, yeah, that you know, so the, mm-hmm. that that was on my bad. Well, both of us have done that recently. Yeah. So me a little more than you, I think. Yeah, yeah, obviously. You're still a dick. Oh, I know. Anyway, so uh, I think we'll we'll, we'll uh, cut this off right now. Uh, the discussion because we have some anecdotes. We anecdotes do we have for you? But first, since Tom forgot his little letter, hey, I've been working really hard today. Uh huh. Sure, you have. Uh-huh. You've been playing Left for Dead too. Actually, I have worked and I had my and night class Le- was canceled and, and played and Left for Dead. Too. I've done stuff and played Left for no, Dead. No, I've done other stuff. You I did, you made did. myself a sandwich. Yeah, Mother, you, mother of God. Yeah, they can't say anything about that, can you? 
I can say... I picked up my laundry. As in you lifted it off the ground? No, I, had to, I have to go to a laundromat now because I don't have a washing machine. They, don't, they didn't give me a free one here. You stupid bastard. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, we'll be back with a uh, special uh, two-person rant on the worst movie of the fucking... Well, no, it, it's not even that, but it's a horrible fucking movie. 2012. So uh, we'll be back in a second. Two thousand twelve, worse than a, a norm, an Xbox video game cutscene. Like not even a good like triple A title, like a budgetware, like something that starts value out value soft. Yeah, value soft. Like it's so fucking terrible. Like just, I really fucking hate that movie. And I know you paid for my ticket because I'm fucking broke because I had to move this month. But but there's no way I could watch that alone. Yeah. So we went with uh, oh, and Aaron had to go too, but he, he has a better he has a job that pays money so. yeah uh, anyway so uh, 2012 it's a movie about the uh, end of, if you it's actually it's if, about you, new, if, you, if you don't know what it's about then you haven't been watching tv it's oh my god it's like neutrinos are coming from the sun they're causing the earth's core to heat up and it's all gonna get all liquidy and shit and the earth's crust is gonna move and it's gonna oh, and it's gonna result fuck. it's gonna result in special effects yeah special effects and uh, literally, okay, the entire movie, the, the movie structure is basically geared around John Cusack and company outrunning the end of the world, which can be outdriven, outflown, Wait, and it's like or outrun. chasing them. Yeah, it, no, it, it's literally it's chasing. chasing them. And ev- everything, all the talking, all it is is cutscenes for like level one. Escape Out. from Los Angeles. No, very good. Excellent combo. It's, like, it's, it's, a, it's a video game, and not even a good video game. This would be like a video game with a lot of quick time events. Yeah. It's and like I'll, hit button to jump. Yeah. yeah. And with terrible controls, you just know oh, you'd yeah. be like, oh, I fucking and hit. very linear. You, it's not like a sandbox. I drive. avoided that falling building. God, this game sucks. Fucking value soft. Anyways, and then oh, now you get to play. No, I'll fly. Oh, let's head just be destroyed. Oh, so fucking awesome. Wait, no, it's not. And then oh, and we're back to uh, boring shit. Okay, and oh, Woody Harrison. Oh, very funny. Oh, now Yellow Dome is. Oh, uh, Yellowstone's y- exploding. Oh, super volcano. Oh my god. Yeah. So you've got the basic idea of the movie. People outrunning things, falling apart. That's the, it. That's yeah, it. That's, that's it. all. And then there's a, a cheap Chinese-made super arc bolt thing that is supposed to outlast oh, and the Ross, tsunami. Yeah. The dog. Oh, my God. There's a fucking annoying little toy dog that the Russian fat uh, hot chick has. And it gets on a... It, the fat Russian billionaire and his kids have the guard. dog. And- I... <sighs> I mean, really, I, I don't want to even describing it gives it too and much. And the puns. Really? Well, I don't even I'm talking about the puns. Pun, you know, the puns, you know, the puns they say as things are falling apart to, like, throw a brief moment of humor onto it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like a CSI Miami show. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah, it's, you could literally have, like, it's just like, well, it's like, looks like this whole city's going to shake and bake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I took off my sunglasses there. And then just imagine that. And uh, yeah, so I I just I hope and, it uh, fails at the box office and everyone and, involved. Will and take of course, it uh, you know, they pretty much they went sh- they went shopping at the cliche superstore uh, and pretty much just piled their cart high. 
Yeah, and anyone who's had any slight, slightest bit of evil in them has to die. Like, well, no, actually, I would say no. Anyone who isn't one of the main named characters from the beginning must die. Well, I was thinking, like, okay, the Russian hot chick and the pilot die because they were having an affair. The Russian billionaire died because he's a total asshole. Um, but the two kids were total Woody assholes. Woody Harrelson has to die because he's fucking crazy. Uh, the president has to die because... Because he ordered all those people's deaths. Mm-hmm. Assassinations. With the... Ooh, the fridge guy got blown up. Oh, no. Yeah, uh, it sucks. But all... And Oliver Platt's the only bastard that doesn't uh, die. You, uh, oh, yeah. He's... Well, there has to be the one ass that's like, No, you can't save those people. Well, I have to be a hero, so I'm going to be heroic black So I'm just going to stand Doo-doo-doo. there and, like, brood, like, You're all wrong. Yeah. Oh, no. And the gate won't close because of the... Uh, the main John Cusack fucking everything up. And, uh, oh, wait, no, he saved it. Yeah. And and like, oh, John Cusack's character is a failed author who wrote one book. Yeah. But, of but, course, the main scientist, he's read the book, and it's inspired him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they show a month. The thing I really hate is, okay, so three boats with a few hundred thousand people on, you know, maybe half a million tops, mm-hmm. uh, survived the destruction of the Earth. We just have to assume that literally every single person on the planet died aside from that. At least that's what the movie would have you think. Like, nobody on uh, uh, some of the other ships or nobody on those other land. Like, you think people in fucking Iowa would live through that? Like, oh, yeah, giant. Uh, uh, they're, they're not near a volcano. They're not near enough to get hit by a tsunami, but oh, they're dead somehow. Yeah. Or in like, or in like a, ge- a geologically stable area. Yeah, like the Rockies. <sighs> yeah, yeah, like NORAD. Oh no, oh NORAD. Uh, you know, whatever. Or a uh, bunch of. Or remember, remember, the axis shifted, so now the South Pole is Wisconsin. Yeah. So the people that the Inuit who are living in Alaska suddenly suddenly are in a temperate zone. Yeah. Well, anyway. It's it's well. Anyways, what that really pissed me off. So we don't we show them like a few hundred thousand people a month later opening doors. Oh, oh no, the sun's back! Yay! Yeah, we're all happy. Yeah. yeah, I was like, okay, the entire like ninety nine point nine percent of the entire population is wiped out. There is not everyone is smiles and hugging yeah. and like there is no PTSD of this group. They must be like the assholes of humanity, like the total self-centered sociopaths. You'd be like, oh, I'm okay. Right? It's like our, enti- ah. like, our entire species outside these three boats is dead. Yeah. Brave future! Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah. So it, so in lieu of a, a Tom's letter, we, we've given you this review of 2012. A terrible fucking movie that should be forgotten and buried and burned. But it won't. No, no, it's even this worse. Is a summer than a, blo- it's a summer blockbuster a, in November. Worse than a day after tomorrow. I actually think Independence Day is probably the best movie they've done. Independence Day is Citizen Kane compared to this piece of crap. Anyway. So yeah, if you need to watch a Dean Devlin role in American movie, go watch that. Go watch Independence Day. Don't, don't watch this movie. No, don't. Don't. I can't believe you gave them money, Tom. I'm so ashamed of you. I have to shun you now. I don't really give a shit. Oh. Fuck you. Really? Yeah, I don't care if you shun me. So Because you need me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because talking to myself isn't as fun. That and I have a car more consistently than you do. <coughs> That's what I have to say to that. Fantastic. All right, we'll be right back.
And we're back. No, 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 no. No, you will refrain. Are you sure, Dad? I, Ross, don't make me shove this pen in your eye. Aww. I know. All right. Well, now we have shout-outs. Yeah, that was what we call more of... That's an anti-shout-out we just did. I get... Yeah, sure. Okay. We'll, we'll go with that. Good. Yes, Tom. I'm right. glad we did. All right. Uh, Tom, you only have one shout-out. I have only have one shout-out. Nice. Mine is actually a CD by a group Creature Feature. It's, I believe, their only album so far, which is The, the Greatest Show Unearthed. Kind of a you know horror themed, punk techno kind of thing. Um, it's more just the journey of which I found it. It's I, I mentioned the Nostalgia Critic in one of my earlier shoutouts another in another episode, and one of his one of the topics was the top eleven nostalgic mind fucks, and his intro had this really kick ass song which got me curious enough to try to find it, and I finally did and you know listened to a few clips of the CD and. Actually, it's one of those that I think I'll actually go purchase this. I know, and I purchased music and didn't download it. I I I, I have done that too. But it's one of those things that you actually can mention, like to someone, and actually. Have I, I be bought new an Abbey Park CD recently. I saw them live. I'm glad I you. did see them live. They're the steampunk band, and I saw them in Fayetteville at Ravenwood's uh, Steampunk. Hey, this music isn't about fest. you right now. Okay, your your time's coming up, and. Actually, I've kind of said my piece. So yeah, the CD, greatest show on earth, really good. Unearthed. That's what I said. You, know, you kind of ran your words together there, Tom. Fine. I will now say this in the overly enunciated version: the greatest show unearthed. <laughs> All right, just so we're clear. Um, I have a whole bunch of shoutouts. Well, why don't you just fucking do them? Yes. Uh, first, as I've mentioned on the forums, I've been reading some novels recently. A trilogy of Warhammer 40,000 novels uh, written by Dan Abnett. Uh, it is called Eisenhorn. Uh, there's three novels, Xenos, Malleus, and Hereticus. Uh, and it's about an Imperial Inquisitor, which, if you know the Warhammer 40,000 universe, it's a very, uh, uh, you know, they're purge the, the unclean they're about as They're about as lovable as the actual Spanish Inquisitor. Actually, Eisenhower is a pretty interesting character. He's more of a moderate in the Inquisition, and he's not a <laughs> radical... He's like, Ron Paul. No, no, he's a moderate. Not <laughs> Ron Paul's fucking crazy. He's not. Anyway, um, it's part... It's this whole very intergalactic. Dab Abnett's a really great pulp sci-fi writer. The the each chapter is very short, very punchy writing, and there's shit going on all the time. There's no long, boring sections where nothing's happening. He gazed longingly in her eyes. Yeah, or like I was tortured and put into prison. Blah blah blah. You know, for fifty pages, like he'll get tortured and shit. But then, oh, he's free ten pages later or five pages later. And he's strangling. He's strangling the fucks. Or shooting them with a bolt pistol and then using a power sword and jamming it down some you know chaos cultist throat good stuff because that's all they're good for is well yeah pretty much um so it's a great read because it's it, again it just goes and you're just reading like oh okay oh wow holy shit and there's all kinds of neat ideas a uh, great gaming fodder for uh any number of sci-fi fantasy or horror dark RPGs. heresy uh, yeah, I definitely want to run Dark Heresy sometime because it really it does sound like Call of Cthulhu in space now. Um, although with better guns and psychic powers. So 
Yeah. But anyway, Eisenhorn Trilogy, I highly recommend it if you're looking for some sci-fi pulp action. Uh, even if you're not a fan of the 40K universe, you don't need to know anything about him because he explains yeah. all this shit. And Dan Abnett's a pretty good writer. So <laughs> Ross approved. Yeah. and uh, Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, next, uh, time travel t-shirt from Topaco. Uh, as created by, I'm wearing it right now, it's basically a t-shirt that says, so you've gone back in time, and it lists how to uh, create penicillin, how to uh, smelt aluminum, how to... Uh, uh, create electricity, uh, create magnets, uh, all kinds of useful stuff, how to make flying machines. Uh, and it always reminds you, be sure to take credit for it. So uh, if you ever go back in time and you need to invent stuff, this is the T-shirt that you would need to be wearing. Guaranteed you make you, to make you the new chieftain of the tribe. of, of the tribe. Exactly, just... or emperor of Rome. That's a little ambitious, but... Well, if you had flying machines and electricity, who knows? And gunpowder. And gunpowder and penicillin. Penicillin would probably be the best, because you know. But I, I'd say gunpowder the close second. Well, I don't know, maybe. Anyway, uh, it's all good. So I would uh, uh, get it. It's from again from uh, Ryan North, the guy who creates Dinosaur Comics, and it's only eighteen dollars. Um, let's see here. Oh, e collapse. This is something I got back a while ago from Greg Stoles, one of the players from uh, the U boat scenario, and uh, um, I actually ran a call Cthulhu for him at Gen Con. Rick's old big time game designer. Oh, very good game designer. He did uh, um, Unknown Armies, a bunch of White Wolf stuff, Rain, mm. One Roll Engine. Um, anyway, he has come up with a superhero RPG called E Collapse, and it takes place in the near future where science is progressed to the part where basically they can give people the equivalent of superpowers, you know, through science. Science? Yeah, various chemical uh, enhancements and that kind of thing. And it's about people who dress up as superheroes to go re-fight for their own ideology, whether it's, you know, a religion or political ideology or misguided. No, no, no more overdue narrative. library books. Exactly. Um, so it's a, it's got a lot of neat ideas in it. Uh, so if you're interested, if that, you know, if you're interested in sci-fi, superhero kind of stuff, big Warren Ellis fan, I'd recommend you should check it out. Uh, I probably said totally mentioned. Um, then uh, I've been kind of building up for a while, as you can tell. Um, let's see here. Oh, Hobocon. I know we mentioned this right after Genicon. This is a, a documentary about... Do you remember this, Tom? I remember this, yes. Yeah, do you want to describe the concept? Basically, it's a group of people went to Gen Con with no money and no plan. Right. And uh, they survived somehow. Survived this was Gen Con 2008. Um, now, I finally had time to sit down and watch it. It's about an hour and 15 minutes in length. And it's, if you've never been to Gen Con, I would recommend getting it so you can get an idea of what it's like, especially if you're going to Gen Con and you, you've never been to a big con before, I would get this solely so you can get an idea of how big Gen Con is so you can prepare yourself adequately. Yeah. You, you remember 2007? Yeah. When Blew it, our fucking minds. Yeah. Well, mine, uh, I don't know. Is your mind impervious to being blown? Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. You're not going to enjoy life. I, I I my mind is blown all the time, so it's never blown. It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's in a perpetual. It's state a Zen of being thing. Blown. Um, anyway, uh, it's 
so it gives you an idea of how big Gen Con is. And, but the problem is, I think, with the documentary, it's kind of a missed opportunity. They, they have a lot of montages showing them playing various games or people playing games, but they don't mention what the games are. And I was really curious to find out what all these board games are, all these RPGs, all these other things. And I wish they would describe... And they spent a lot of their time in the documentary describing how they're trying to survive. You know, oh, they're sleeping under the, clo- you know, under the stairs in this utility closet. Oh, they're uh, trading these little pins for money so they can buy a McChicken sandwich and they split it up in three parts. And, you know, that, that's interesting and all. Mm-hmm. But I, they spend too much time talking to the camera themselves and not enough describing what they... I mean, I got a sense that they went to Gen Con just to survive it. They didn't, like... They went to the dance, which was interesting, and uh, they did a few other things, but... Um, I would have liked more about the games and what they did. I would have liked it to have been more about them like gaming as much as possible, getting as much possible out of Gen Con instead of merely surviving it with no money and no plan. But mm-hmm. um, so if you've already been in Gen Con, you know what it's like. And, uh, you know, you, if it, the concept grabs you enough, uh, you might do it because it, it does a pretty good job of showing their plight and everything. But, um, really, it's the best people who would benefit from this are people who are going to Gen Con for the first time and need an idea of virgins, what, as it were. Yeah, yeah, Gen Con virgins. Um, so I would really like them to do another Gen Con documentary, but this time focus on the, every event that goes on. That you know what I r- would really love, like a documentary that shows all the highlights of Gen Con and like gives you an idea of what you might want to do before you go there. Cause you know, there are literally hundreds of events going on there, like true dungeon, all these RPGs, yeah. all you these gotta tournaments. Plan, you got to plan a long time in advance. Yeah. And if you don't know ahead of time what you might be interested in, then you're like, Oh, so, and there's these games and uh, tournaments and things that have been going on for decades. Like there's guys who do this one uh, world war one biplane game, like, something by dawn and they've been doing it for like 20 years and like they always get there and play this game at this time and uh, then there's tracy chapman or there's some kevin hicks breakfast where i don't know there's like hundreds of gamers getting killed or uh, their characters getting killed or something and then there's the dungeon crawl classic tournament from good i mean there's so much shit going on i would love to have a documentary that like shows like okay here's what this event is and here's what this like and here are the people who are running let's go on to the next event oh wow this is cool and then you know it's just yeah. a little more bread and butter informative kind of stuff also we recommend if you go to gen con bring money yeah um, you really do need money. Um, I know that, that like going there without money is sounds might be kind of sounds kind of like a heroic. It's kind of gimmicky, but yeah, you know of, it's. So I hope the Hobocon guys make that documentary about Gen Con. But if you know um, somebody needs to make that documentary because that would be really beneficial to show Gen Con in all its glory. And if you do make it, to be sure to mention where you got the idea from. I'm too busy gaming at Gen Con to run a documentary. I, I'm too busy doing things. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, trying to get work. <laughs> uh, hey, please hire me. Yeah, hey, publishing companies need a new freelancer, uh, RPG freelancer. Um, so let's see here. Uh, oh, Left 4 Dead 2 that came out today, November seventeenth. I've been playing that, and yes, it is. If you like Left 4 Dead one, you will love Left 4 Dead two. It is enough said. Awesome. Yeah, pretty much. It, I, I, it, you, it, it doesn't need me to promote it. It's, it is awesome though. So, um. Fine, although I will mention again, I know we've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again. It's Daddy Meal Pots! Oh, God, no. Yes. Son of a bitch. It's The Room. And I know we've mentioned The Room as the riff tracks, but 
And, My uh, local and art actually, and house we, we've mentioned, movie if theater. You, if you've listened to our actual play, if our actual plays lately, we mentioned the fuck out of the room. Oh yeah. Uh, oh hi Tom. Oh hi Ross. Um, the room there's an art house movie theater in Springfield, Missouri called the Moxie. Moxie shows all kinds of independent movies, local movies. Yeah. Well, yeah, local movies. And they showed the room at on Saturday, and. I went there with a large crowd, several of my friends, including Cody, mm-hmm. uh, Jason, and Dan. And there were also a bunch of people there who were big fans of the room and dressed up as characters from it. Uh, they had costumes, you know, they had the costumes. They knew all the lines. They knew the, the lyrics to the songs for the three sex scenes that are in the first twenty minutes of the movie <laughs> and are horrible because you see Tommy Wiseau's ass. That is, poor, that poor girl. Yeah, yeah. Literally, she was eighteen off the bus from Texas. And that was the first scene. She, one of yeah, the, it was the first scene she shot. Yeah. So, if you ever get a chance to see the room in a theater with a live audience, do it. Like next month, if they show it again with Moxie Tom, you're, you're gonna have to go. Is that an order? Yeah, pretty much. You're going to have to fucking go. Oh, it's a good thing. I guess good, you're going to dress up as one of the characters. It's a good thing I don't pay any attention to you. Yeah, well, it's hilarious and it's worth it. Because the riff tracks, you kind of distract you from the actual uh, dialogue and story. And it, when you watch it in a theater, one thing, you can see it in a large enough screen that you can actually see the spoons in the picture frames, which is like so surreal. But you actually focus on the story and you realize how fucking bizarre it really is. You know, with all these subplots introduced and then forgotten. All this other insanity. Um, high doggy. Yeah, all high doggy. Uh, you're my favorite customer. You're my, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so please see the room in a theater if you get a chance. If you live in a big city like L.A. or New York, I'm sure it's there. Uh, Springfield, Missouri has a, the, the Moxie. There's the Ragtag up in Columbia, Missouri. Um, there's art house theaters all over the place. So please, for the sake of your own soul, uh, do it. Because um, Tommy Wiseau needs more money. No, it's it's about the the spiritual experience and improving your. I, I, I don't know. Well, you know that Tommy was so. It's like those fucking idiots. No, oh, no, they're he, tearing me apart. Yeah. Um. So finally, uh, there's one other movie I saw at the Moxie that that night, uh, and that was the one I saw before the room, and that was Black Dynamite. Black Dynamite is an homage to black exploitation movies, of course. Uh, Shaft. Uh, Shaft. Dolomite. Dolomite. Uh, Superfly Jones. Uh, Coffee. Um, and it's Foxy what, Brown. Yeah. Uh, Foxy Brown. Yeah. Uh, they're amazed. I know of these. Yeah. No, I, I um, it's incredibly funny. It's a, it's a dead on homage to black exploitation and, uh, it has a lot of funny ass people Pimps in it. And Pimps and Kung, Kung Fu, hick, huck, yeah. Kung Fu hookers, um, and all kinds of crazy stuff. So Yeah. You should totally watch it in theaters or when it comes and out 70s on DVD. Music. Yeah, and seventies music. So um, the uh, I will put a link to the trailer. <coughs> uh, the trailer will convince you that you need to see Black D- Dynamite. So you must see this movie. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. Uh, a bunch of shout outs, but you know He's, well, they, they, they've been piling up. They've been piling up a little bit. I'm sure I forgot something. If I forgot you and I said I was going to give you a shout out, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll give you a shout out if you. We'll we'll do episodes more quickly from now on. Since well, back to our normal schedule. Well, maybe even faster. Who knows? Oh my God, yeah. that is so ambitious. So we will end this episode with uh, a whole bunch of anecdotes from two different people. So. Uh, yeah, I will go first with the shorter of the anecdotes. Mm. Water. It's great. <laughs> Dihydrogen yeah. monoxide. Uh, 
Okay. Yeah. Anyways, our first anecdote is from Philip Blair. Uh, Hi, guys. I love the show. I've been listening since May. It was the only thing that... It was the only thing that got me through uh, revision for my standard grade exams. Now, he's from the UK, you can tell, because his email address ends in .co.uk. Ah. So, revision for my standard grade exams. I'm, uh, that, it's a British thing, bro. Yeah, British thing. So, problem was when I got to the exams, I couldn't get R- the RPPR podcast out of my head. Question, describe the many ways Hitler uh, manipulated German voters to gain power. Answer, he was like Lex Luthor times 10. Oh. So, yeah. Buzzing. Yeah. Anyway, since it's uh, uh, just been Halloween, uh, obviously, I, uh, I've i got a Call of Cthulhu anecdote uh, for you that shows the best thing the DM can do is make the other PCs bigger enemies than the DM. So to set the scene, it was me as the keeper, six of my friends, and my younger sister all in high school. Nobody but my sister and I had played before, and I gave them very little idea what to expect. It was a scenario I'd written myself based on Ian Rankin's new Constantine graphic novel, Dark Entries. I've actually kind of wanted to read that. Um, that, that, that was my side. Uh, the PCs are all uh, in a Big Brother-type reality TV show. It's deliberately creepy, but they think they just have to escape and win whatever prize they've been told lies at the end. The pregens don't know anything about each other, and slowly realize they can't even remember how they arrived in the house it turns out they're all dead and their deaths connect them in a psychic pattern the tv show is actually a sick game of nyarlothoteps and the stakes are raised but most of them manage to escape the best part of the game occurred about halfway through when the players were up the height of paranoia against each other forming their own little groups and trying to protect each other from the obviously evil pcs that sounds like a real reality show too Yeah. yeah um Anyway, they find a wall that can only be passed after sacrifice of blood and pow, uh, power. Uh, the ex-soldier, Glenn, has always been suspicious of the newcomer, John, and passes me a slip of paper asking to attack him. He rolls to hit and does. Roll damage. Only a one. I described to John his feeling of being smacked in the back of the head by a glass vase. This uh, confirms all suspicions about the suspicious Glenn, and he draws the magnum that the producer handed him as he entered, John thinking that he himself was a mole uh, to spy on the others. Uh, all the other other PCs are shocked and appalled at this behavior from both combatants. Uh, Aki, uh, Kikyo, uh, the Japanese teenager, grapples Glenn from behind and stops him attacking John further. During this time, John rolls to hit, hits roll damage, and here's a shocking sound. Click! The gun was empty, just another Nyar Lothotep's tricks. Meanwhile, Shug, the juvenile delinquent, sneaks up uh, on uh, John and stabs him in the back, dealing 14 hit points damage, rendering him unconscious. Best part about this was that I barely had to do or say anything. PC's own cabin fever and the Big Brother theme tune I'd been playing on a loop for the last three hours got to them (laughs) and drive them all to a fit of madness. There's more damage sustained in that 10 minutes from the other PCs than all the deep ones in Migu in the adventure. Spend more time shouting at each other than they usually do in our regular D&D campaign at me. Kept finding paranoid notes written between characters every time I go into my room. Should we tell them yet? No, but they could use it against us. Let us wait until we know more. Anyway... Keep up the good work and get as much of the New World stuff out there as possible. My girlfriend just destroyed the Goblin Hulk and tried to get all the get all the XP for every Goblin, 2,500, that died on the ship. So, uh, true gamer. She's true a, gamer. Uh, she's a keeper. Um, I, yeah. Anyway, uh, Tom, you had the first. Yes, I have the first half of the, ne- of the other one. Uh, this is from Scott Lynch. Yes. Ooh. He says, hi, this is Scott Lynch again, writing from Soviet Canada. I wanted to write my own shout-out to another anecdote. In effect, these are two separate gaming stories. First, the shout-out. I'd like to give a big shout-out to Tom. His description of the adversarial GM and be a team player hit the nail on the head like a hydraulic jackhammer. Oh, he likes me? 
Many years ago, there was an article in the, in the Dr Dragon magazine that made fun of different types of GMs and gave them monster manual type of statistics, the Monty Hall DM and the like. But the description of the adversarial DM was called, was called the Dungeon Masterus Maximus Horribilis, or uh, Horribilis, or DMMH. I can't find the issue number. Tom's story of the adversarial DM that wouldn't let PCs cross a bridge or the water or go around or get past in any way, even though they were supposed to... Okay, I read that. That was fucked. Tom's story of the adversarial DM that wouldn't let PCs cross a bridge or the water or go around or get past in any way, even though they were supposed to really hit home. Okay. That was right. This is because I had the exact same experience. Let me tell you about the adversarial DMMH from hell. A friend and I had posted a Players Wanted poster in a local comic shop looking for players and GMs. A little while later, we got a call from a fellow named Scott S. who wanted to get together. My friend and I were overjoyed as we had been doing one-on-one -on -one games for too long and were looking for another player. When we got to meet him, it turned out he wanted to run a, two, a second AD&D game. This was great because I had been burnt out as a DM for a while. At first it looked great. He had a house rule system for point-building PCs and he made extensive use of miniatures. So much so, they had an entire city block of really detailed buildings and castles. The guy was an amazing painter. I thought that this would be great. I soon found out that the game was the most frustrating bunch of session I'd ever had to sit through. Even though he had given us the quest, what he, what he wanted us to do, he made the life of our PC so mundane and stifling that it was one frustrating exercise after another. Even the most routine of things was a major obstacle. For example, I was a thief. I never did any thief-like things in the whole game. He kept all of our PCs in a state of wage slavery that bordered on destitute. I didn't even give... I didn't expect him to give me anything, but role-playing a dishwasher at a tavern to pay my daily expenses was less interesting than getting an actual job. There was no way to actually walk from one part of the city to, the, uh, to another without having to get hassled by all sorts of annoying people trying to arrest you or accost you every step of the way. One thing that stuck in my mind was that I had rented a room from an innkeeper to stay in. And that was all. That was all it was. A room. More like a self-storage closet, as there was no furniture or even a window. The DM stipulated that the door did not even have a latch. There was no lock. I tried to go to a blacksmith to get him to make me some iron hooks so I could install a drop block on the inside so I'd have some safety at night, given that he was always out to screw the players. I had, I had to slightly, slightly trick-talk my way into getting the blacksmith to inadvertently admit that he could even make two or, two or four pieces of bent metal along all the while not giving away to the DM what I was going to use them for. I paid the guy half their worth up front and would pay for the rest when he finished them. It was many game sessions before I could even afford to do this. He had me paying outrageous prices on everything, including fees to the pimps at the Thieves Guild, all in a control-freak way of keeping us wage slaves. After the DM found out what I was planning on doing with them, he, for no reason, had the blacksmith refuse to make them and refuse to return my hard-earned shekels. So I counted it as a loss, but by this time I had figured out that the DM was really going out to get us and said, forget it. I began to play passively aggressively. I refused to follow his strict ordained path, and in some ways I acted a bit like a brat. But by this time the game had become an exercise in barely controlling my anger. This isn't to mention the way he screwed over all the other players in individually and us as a group eventually i got a police summons to appear before a magistrate because i broke the contract with the blacksmith at that point i finally said screw it and just left the premises and, and had to go into hiding <laughs> oh. 
At least at this point, I got to use some of my thief abilities. We had a boring quest that sent us into some cavern somewhere, and the GM screwed it over the players by having them all turned into stone by a basilisk, except for me. I then had to travel back to town, cross the no-go bridges, and get a magic stone-to-flesh potion to save everyone. Since the DM screwed me every time I did anything, I didn't know how this was going to work. But in order to save his game, I let him. I, he let me do the whole journey, buy a potion, return in a few sentences. I saw it was in his judgment. It was in his judgment to skip boring, useless stuff when it was suited to his purpose. I was going to break the vial and commit suicide to fuck up his whole game and hopefully start all over. But I didn't. Like I said, I didn't expect him to give me anything. But I was getting to the point that I was saying to myself, "I play these games for fun, not to be discouraged or get angry." I was thinking of leaving the group as soon if th soon if things didn't change, but it stuck it for the final straw that broke the camel's back. This is what made me really relate to Tom's impossible bridge story. Canals surrounded the city. Basically, they were carefully placed GM traps to keep us locked in the city, but no one else, of course, since I had found out he, he w wouldn't let us leave without his permission. Several places were, were what we called troll bridges because they were blocked by trolls that were somehow friendly to the city fathers. We were charged with le leaving the city via one of these impassable bridges. Can't swim by it, can't go around it, and even though we were supposed to cross it, he wouldn't let us. Having exhausted every peaceful idea, the only thing to do was to force our way across with violence. Now I had spent the last several six-hour game sessions scraping up enough copper pieces to buy a crossbow. Even though I didn't, I didn't even have a weapon proficiency to use it, I figured it would be a good one to ha good to have one distance weapon at the party's disposal. So the first time I was going to use it was at this bridge encounter that we were trying to avoid. In the very first round, the DM unilaterally declares the troll reaches over, grabs it from me, and tauntingly says, Naughty, naughty, and stomps it to smithereens. No initiative, no to hit, no saving throw, no item saving throw, no nothing. Plus, I had positioned my miniature far enough away from the troll to be able to fire over my fellow PCs, read, suckers, heads, and they were blocking its way. I knew he deliberately did that to screw me out of this one simple thing I had fought so hard to acquire. At that point, I mentally dropped out of the game, and after that session, I never went back, despite several calls to do so. Perhaps I should have had a talk with him, but I was dealing with my father dying, and I was moving and other terrible things, and just didn't give a damn. Even after nine years, I feel like calling him and telling him what a crappy DM he is. My other friend stayed on with the game for another two years, but I don't know how he did it. Hopefully, the, hopefully this DMMMH... DMMH listens to this podcast. Last I hear, he had become a very lonely DM. That was the first part. Ross has the second. Uh, just before the uh, unfortunate incident described above, my friend and I were playing in a one-on-one -on -one session of the first edition Rules of Boot Hill. Uh, a Western game. I've heard of it. I have never played or seen a, even a copy of it. Uh, it's very like 70s. It means like old school. Uh, been always always been one of my favorite games. Uh, we were playing through the adventure called Burn Bushed Wells. Uh, Boot Heel 4, 1983. Just for a laugh, I decided to use some fancy props unknown to Mike, my player. There was a session where the lo locals were having a tall tale contest. Uh, in a saloon around the stove, the, town the townsfolk were telling each other ghost stories, local legends, and the like. They had collected a slush fund, and, um, why... As I was saying, in a saloon around the stove, the townsfolk were telling each other 
ghost stories, local legends, and the like. They had collected a slush fund, and the person who told the best story would win the pot. People went through their yarn. And then it was Mike's turn. He ad-libbed a great story about how at the Battle of Gettysburg, the dead rose from their place as they fell and continued the fight. He did it so well that I figured there was no dice rolling to decide that he had already won. But there was still one guy who had to uh, who had to complete the encounter. Unknowns to the crowd, a dark stranger slowly approached the central wood stove. The dark stranger told a ghastly story of how he was tracking the best wild horse in the world named the Widowmaker. He had a curse uh, to roam the West looking for this uh, thing like a questing knight and could find no place to lay his head or call home. His final words were, but this place sure comes close. Yup, it sure does. Staring misty-eyed into the fire, he lazily tosses his cigar into the uh, stove. Little did the crowd who were hanging on his every word know, but this guy was actually dastardly villain. His cigar was filled with gunpowder and sulfur fixed to make a great bang and a cloud of smoke so that he could grab the cash and make a run for it. Maybe you can see where this is going. Idea was that the PC, uh, PC would give chase and save the day, winning the admiration of the townies. Well, to dramatize the effect, I filled an ashtray full to the top with black gunpowder. And since we were both smokers, I told the dark stranger's tale, timing it with the end of my cigarette. At the conclusion, when the dark stranger <laughs> threw his cigar smoke bomb into the stove, I dropped my cigar into the ashtray. I didn't go off at first, so I reached over and nudged the butt. Hoof! Black powder doesn't actually make a bang like it does in Bugs Bunny cartoons, unless you use it in a gun like you're supposed to do. It went off like a flash cube. I felt an impact impact on my hand, and the powder didn't at all burn instantly. So it threw bits of uh, tiny bits of burning powder into my face like shrapnel. I had burned all the hair off of my arm and singed my eyebrows and eyelashes. My fingers and face tingled like I had a sunburn since uh, tiny embers burned into my face. But it had the perfect desired effect on the game. <laughs> Poor Mike nearly jumped out of his seat, instantly began a deep consumption like coughing, along with gasps of, Oh God, I can't breathe. He tried to keep his head low to breathe clean air in a mush as a mushroom cloud, a perfect mushroom cloud of sulfur with a diameter about six feet so- slowly coiled to the ceiling, ballooned out to the walls, and crawled down to the floor. Within a minute, the entire living room was a haze of silky bluish gray smoke. More than you'd ever seen a saloon or at a rave when while Mike was the player was kvetching, I began barking out questions. Quick, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Mike ignored me and headed straight for the door to open and get some fresh air. Needless to say, the dark stranger got clean away, and my face and finger tingled for the rest of the night. Wow. Uh, that is total devotion to one's craft. That is hardcore. <laughs> a couple of things I'd like to mention. Still, I all have my fingers, my eyesight, my face is no more holy than before this incident. Second, to listeners, remember that Tom and Ross said in episode 31 that they promote the safe use of firearms. Always <laughs> consult your local laws and bylaws. Third, this is probably the best, worst, or just the plainest, most stupid and dangerous stunt you may have ever heard of an RPG or anywhere. I'm lucky that all I lost was the hair of my arm and face. A lot is good I laugh good laugh to look back on i would never recommend this and i would never try it again ever never ever never yeah you think you're an edgy gamer this guy built a summer cottage on the edge where he lives year round <laughs> yeah and as a last note, I'd like to give a shout out to you guys. First, a warning: the following is shameless, flattering, gratuitous brown music. Oh my! I've explored the net and downloaded several different RPG podcasts, but of 
of them all. This is the only one I look forward to hearing. It is now the only one I even really listen to. This is because I've tried to listen to the others and found that most of the hosts are completely and totally monotonous. A couple of them are the opposite. They are a bunch of folks cross-talking, interrupting, and inserting unfunny and silly jokes. One was even a bunch of hosts, up to six I think, who were just getting drunk and swapping stories. Many of them are simply devoted to one topic alone uh, or whatever the current fad of D20, AD, and D is at any given moment blah but you fellows have a great repertoire and are actually amusing when you are trying to be and be serious when you want to be serious and most importantly you are varied in your topics i hardly ever hear you refer to the one game to end them all uh you references to call of cthulhu are most welcome since you make Topics of all games and films and books, video games, and even that great sounding bag with a broken zipper that uh, <laughs> yeah, Ross Best Barford Jenkins. damn bag ever. Fucking ruled at Dragon Con. I, I, I didn't use it as much as I should have a Dragon Engine Con, but Dragon Con, it fucking ruled it. Oh, yeah. Because you, you have to pack it right. It's, it's all about loading it out correct. Okay, I'm. I am geeking out about <laughs> shoulder bags, okay, or messenger bags. Uh, I've even been able to hear your opinions on games I've never played, owned, or read. Examples are including monsters and other childish things, which just sparked my interest. Good, because good, yes. Uh, and Tom's favorite, mutants and masterminds, and also his most desired game to play, Cyberpunk. Like all gamers. I haven't the time or money to buy or play every single game I'd like to, so hearing your thoughts on these is, is insightful. The Bargain Bin episode was great, as I got more games that way than any other. We should probably do another one then. Yeah. Um, also, as you may have guessed, this recent episode on Props and Minis was great as well. The first I'd ever played, first time I'd ever played an RPG, and we used minis uh, in lead. Um, we like it. We, we liked it a lot. We, we ate the lead chips. It was great. <laughs> Uh, it was the way games was handed to me, and uh, since then I don't see it around as much. Hopefully, and again, this is due to your reviews, the newest incarnation of D&D will bring them back. Uh, questions or requests. One time, uh, uh, Ross mentioned that you'd like to do an episode of Why You Dislike Riffs, and Tom said we need two episodes for that. Well, please do them. <laughs> um, I'd like to hear more of Why You Despise the System. Also, there's a podcast called Vintage Gamer where he talks about old games from the past. This is nostalgic for me. Maybe you guys could do a show dedicated to those games that have come before and paved the way. First edition AD&D, or D&D, Star Frontiers, Boot Hill, or Villains and Vigilantes. We, I, we, we played Villains and Vigilantes, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, Matt ran a game in that. Yeah. The Mars game. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, I, I, I harvested organs for money. Yeah. It was, um, yeah. Yeah. You did. Yeah. <laughs> Endless games that didn't make it, but were good, bad, or ugly. Yes, I love the podcast. Keep up the super great works, and thanks for doing it in the first place. I even like Ross's announcer's voices. So there. So there, Tom. Uh, I have to go now. I think the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, want to ever talk to me about my Boot Hill role-playing habits. But definitive the fans love the announcer voice tom you see no ross they, the fans also love it when i when i rip fans on agree that the, the announcer voice is a gift from the gods and but uh, see no ross they also love it when i rag on it too no that i think they do they just I say that they do. Uh, yeah that's your delusion tom i think you're misreading what they're actually saying you know, Ross, I believe the delusion falls upon you. No, I'm, I'm surely the next great voice guy, whatever that is. You're not. I am. You're not. I am in my own mind. But yeah, if hey, if you want us to do an episode devoted to why we despise the Rift system, 
Well, the Palladium system in general, we could definitely do that. We could do a whole systems critique of that. Like, well, we could, like, make a character in Rifts. And that would be the that would be like that would be two episodes right there. Yeah, it would. <laughs> that would be two episodes right there because goddamn, fucking riffs. Actually, I I, I, I don't like it. I say what we need to do for that. Yeah. Let us like we'll both roll up characters before the the show. Yeah. Bring them together and discuss what we have made. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'll have to see what riffs. Well, you you saw the riffs main book. I have all the I have I all the, have, I, have, I have practically all the riffs books still. Do you have the chaos earth books? I don't have those. Oh, oh. I said riffs. I don't have chaos earth. Well, it's a which riffs is a book. Ri- which is a which it's a, it's a spin off of book. riffs. It's a spin off of riffs. It's riffs spin off. It has mega damage and glitter I've, boys. So that's that's riffs. I have I don't know I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> mega anymore. damage. Yeah, mega damage. All right. Um. That made a big spike in that thing. And, all right, this is Roleplaying Public Radio. Been episode thirty-eight. Fight me or give me a quest, and we're back, baby. And we'll 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 be back forever and stuff. So Tom and Ross signing off.